This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Who thinks it's blessed to be in church on a Sunday night? And isn't it great to have this, the beautiful Christmas decorations? I'm so happy uh, with what everybody um, has done to get that together. Well, tonight we're going to be on part four of a series that we're doing called True Grit. And you're like, well, what are you talking about? We're talking about having some true grit, having some some guts to stand up for what's right, having having uh, some backbone about you as a Christian. And just to catch up in case you haven't heard my spiel already about where this series came from. Uh, back in September, I went up to Big Bear for a few days. I needed I, I needed a few days to just hear from the Lord. I need a few days of, of solitude. And so I went up there and, and I got my Bible out one morning and I'm like, God, I just, I want to hear from you. And I opened up to the gospel of Mark and amazingly, I mean, I really did have a supernatural experience where I read the entire book. I don't know how long it was, but it seemed like a matter of minutes, but I'm not exactly sure how long it was. And Mark's not a really long book. It's only 16 chapters, but but I read it so fast, but it wasn't, you know, speed reading, just trying to see how quick I could read. I got so much revelation and God pointed out these 10 character traits that Jesus had to me, these 10 character traits and and, and all of them, I'm, I'm studying these things and, and of course we all know that Jesus is loving and compassionate and merciful and kind and, and tender and soft and cozy and we love Jesus and all the baby Jesus, we love him but the truth of the matter is this is that Jesus is also very tough Jesus also has some backbone, Jesus has some grit and he didn't just get pushed around in life he wasn't just a sissy like, like some people People would lead you to believe, yes, he's loving, but Jesus had some grit about him. And I wrote these 10 things down, and, and my goal has been to cover these by the end of the year. And I think we're going to do it. I'm going to cover two tonight in one, in one message. So we're going to try to get this done. And, and I just, it changed my life. And I'm not, you know, people can use that phrase and just throw it around. But I don't, I don't just say that about stuff unless it really did. This teaching changed my life because Jesus teaches us how to be a man. He teaches us how to be a woman of God. And it's so interesting, and I, you know, maybe you've heard me say this, but I got all these things out of the gospel of Mark, and Mark was kind of known as a mama's boy, honestly. He was kind of a sissy. Uh, he, he followed Jesus around and stuff like that, but, but Mark lived with his mom, and his mom had a nice house out there by, uh, close to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and so people would come into Mark's family, but we don't know about his dad, so I don't, I don't know if he was raised by a single mom or what the deal is, but Mark was kind of a, a, a sissy, and if you read towards the end, I yeah, Mark included it in his gospel, I think it's uh, probably the 15th chapter, uh, whenever they're getting Jesus in the garden and, they're, and Judas is betraying him, Mark sees this commotion of all that's going on, Mark goes out there, and, and it, must have, it was the middle of the night, he goes out there just wrapped in a bed sheet. And, and Mark says, he doesn't call himself by name, but we pretty much all know who he's talking about. He says, a young man went out there and the soldiers grabbed the bed sheet and ripped it off him and he ran through the night naked. I'm like, wow, that's embarrassing, Mark. I mean, you thought you were going to go rescue Jesus and you got stripped butt naked and you're running through, through town naked. So anyway, you know, Mark, he, he kind of had this reputation and then, uh, he, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they decided to take Mark with them on their first missionary journey. You can read this in the book of Acts and, and Mark, I mean, just shortly into the journey, like on the second stop of the trip, he quits and leaves. He went home. 
He had to get back to mama. And so the next time around, Barnabas, who happened to be Mark's cousin, he says, hey, Paul, let's go out on another trip. I'll, I'll go tell Mark we're ready. And Paul says, absolutely not. There's no way in the world I'm taking that quitter with it. He's a sissy. He's a mama's boy. I'm not taking him. And so you can study this. You can read this. But Paul and Barnabas got into such an argument that they split up and they didn't partner anymore. And Paul chose a new guy to be his ministry partner, a man named Silas. And they did great things for the Lord. But the cool thing is, is that in the end, if you read in uh, uh, Colossians, I believe it is, uh, Mark and Paul made up, and they were friends, and they were even in prison together one time. I mean, if you're, you know, there's nothing like being with your friends in prison, you know what I mean? I'm not speaking from experience, but I'm just saying, like, you know what I mean? Okay. Can I get an amen? Back row? All right, thank you. Back row knows what I'm talking about. All right, so, we're going <laughs> to, no, sorry. Anyway, uh, let's look at, <laughs> we're going to look at part four tonight of True Grit, and <clears throat> it was funny, I was, I was, the kids have their play practice tonight, and my son Joel, he's really into the Bible and into preaching and everything. He's like, man, I'm going to miss part four of True Grit, Dad. I'm like, well, you can listen to the podcast, son. All right, but let's go ahead, and we're going to get into two things tonight that are part of the True Grit, the manly, tough character of Jesus. And some of these things you're like, well, that doesn't sound too manly. Well, just listen, okay? This is how you become a real man and woman of God. Number one, one thing that Jesus did, one characteristic that he did, a habit that he had, was he had solitude to go recharge. Jesus would very often, and I'll explain this, okay, because it may not seem too manly right now, but we'll get there. But listen to me. Jesus would very often go off to be by himself and get away from everyone else. Now, if you're a person that gets a lot of alone time, you probably think, well, that's no big deal. But listen to me. When you don't get a lot of alone time and you constantly have people that need things from you and stuff, you'll, you'll appreciate this someday. Listen to me. You have to take time to go be alone with God and recharge the system. You got to hit the reset button every now and then. But I want to show you a few things. There's a lot of examples of this about Jesus. So many places, but I'm going to try to keep it just to the book of Mark here. Let's look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Mark chapter 1. So right in the very beginning of the book. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 35. Amen. And so... Um, normally I like to be pretty loud when I preach, but the devil tried to hit me with a sore throat. And guess what I did? I forbid it from happening. So, <laughs> so right now I'm just not going to yell as much tonight. But Mark chapter one, we're going to look at verse 35. Check this out. This is very interesting to me. Mark chapter one, verse 35. It says before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Before daybreak, Jesus got up before everybody else and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Well, why didn't he do it with everybody else around? Why, why did, because Jesus knew how important it is to be able to talk to God, to be able to pray, to be able to have time with nobody else around. And again, if you don't understand this, my best recommendation is to have a whole bunch of kids. Okay. Get married, then get you a bunch of kids and you realize how important it is to have quiet time with God. And, you know, and so I think moms can do this. They can do things with kids around. Like I can barely like tie my shoes if there's kids in the room. I, I'm just I'm shut down. I can play with the kids all day long, man. We can we can do things, play football, but I cannot be productive with children. I don't know what it is so, anyway. But but uh, so I found this out, man. I the, the the earlier the kids get up, I just 
have to get up before everybody else because I cannot go through my day if I have not had time with God. You wouldn't like me if I haven't been with Jesus. I know you love me right now. I'm a very, very lovable guy, but that's because I've been with Jesus. If I haven't been with Jesus, you don't want to be around me. I need Jesus every morning. And so I'll get up as early as it takes, man. And you know, you've heard me talk about all that, but, but I get up as early as it takes. Sometimes this past week, it's been three o'clock every morning, which Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to hopefully sleep in a little bit more this week. But, but as early as it takes to get time with Jesus before everybody else gets up, I've got to have that. And so Jesus right here before daybreak in the morning, it says Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to go pray. And if you read the previous verses, you'll see here that he had spent most of the previous night healing people. He was casting out devils and healing people. In fact, it says that the whole town that he was in came and gathered to hear Jesus. So it's not like Jesus had just not been doing anything and just wanted to go chill. No, Jesus had had a busy night serving other people, praying, healing, preaching and all this stuff. And so he gets up early the next morning. I'm guessing he didn't even have a whole lot of sleep, but he had to have alone time with God. And I'm telling you, it takes grit. Um, Seriously, it takes some discipline, some self-control to deny other things and say, no, I'm going to go be with Jesus. Yeah. It takes some, uh, it takes a mature Christian, it takes somebody that's really a disciple to say, no, I can't go out tonight. I just, I haven't really read my Bible yet today. I mean, I have found very few people. I've got a lot of excuses for not wanting to go hang out. But very few people have been honest with me and said, and you know, hey, I, I'd like to go hang out, but I mean, I need some time in the Word. And I would love it if people would say stuff like that to me and be like, I can't make it tonight. I just haven't had much time with God lately. Like, that would be awesome. But it takes a mature Christian. It takes somebody that's really serious about God that will deny themselves of other things to be isolated and spend some time with Jesus. And when you will deny yourself even sleep or food or whatever it is, so you can be, when he becomes more important than your sleep, when he becomes more important than your food, than your money, than, than other things around you, listen, you're getting somewhere. But Jesus, I think in this instance right here, he probably denied himself some sleep that night because he had ministered. <clears throat> but the good news is, you guys know who Peter is? Thankfully, Peter uh, was very intrusive and he went and found Jesus out in the woods. So let's look here at verse 36. It says later, Simon, which is Peter, and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, hey, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. I'm sure he was really appreciated that. Yeah, thank you. I just got out here to get away from you guys. And Peter and the boys track him down. Hey, everyone's looking for you back in the village. Where you at? I mean, do you think Jesus appreciated that at this moment? I don't think that he really did. But Jesus, of course, being who he is, you know, he went he went about and did some more good things. Let's look at chapter six. Look over here at chapter six with me. Man, are you learning anything tonight? Chapter six, you've got to, this is a spiritual discipline of being able to get alone with God. So Mark chapter six, we're going to look here at verses 30 and 31. Now check this out. So this is right before Jesus feeds the 5,000, but it says the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. 
Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they, they kept a very busy schedule. And you'll notice a lot of times after Jesus and the disciples had, I mean, been working hard, Jesus always tried to make time to, to have a little rest time afterwards and a little time to wind down and be with God. He did this all over the four Gospels. And so they had, this says right here, the disciples had just returned from their ministry tour. Did you know that they went on tour? I mean, they had roadies they're setting up for them. They had like uh, the T-shirts with every city. It was no, I'm kidding. But anyway, so they they got back to their ministry tour, and Jesus said, "You guys need to rest. We need to go be by ourselves for a while." And they went and they had some alone time, and and they ended up getting interrupted. And Jesus feeds thousands of people and prays for all of them, and because. It's almost comical how much you read if you're studying the Gospels. Every time Jesus tries to go be alone, somebody comes up and ruins it for him. <laughs> almost every time. Peter or somebody will come up, hey, Jesus, where are you at? And someone is always chasing him down. But that's one thing that you just learn in life is that you take advantage of the time that you do get uh, when you get to uh, to have some times of solitude. And so... This time right here, Jesus is trying to show the disciples how important it is to make alone time. And and I'm being really serious when I say this, that it is super important that we make this time to be alone and hear from God. And, and, and again, you may not have an appreciation for it, but you will someday. It is important. And an interesting thing about this story, if you were to look at Matthew's telling of this story, you can write this down, but you don't have to turn there. Matthew 14 uh, it's the story of, of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and, and Jesus went off to be alone. But right before this, okay, in Matthew's account, Matthew 14, 13, what happened was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had just been murdered, okay? Herod had his head cut off and they brought it out of this drunken party. And, and, and it says they, the disciples came and told Jesus, your cousin John, they just killed him and, and cut his head off. And Jesus was greatly disturbed by this, it says. <clears throat> I mean, he didn't, you know, Jesus was a real person. He had emotions and, and this really bothered him really bad. And so in Matthew's account, Matthew 14, it says Jesus heard the news and he went off to be by himself to pray. And then... Thousands of people found out where he was, and and they're like, hey, Jesus, we found you. Will you preach to us? And so Jesus starts preaching, and then he feeds all of them and gives them a free lunch and prays for them and plays with the kids and all this stuff. And Jesus did what he always does. But listen to me. He was trying to make some time to, to, to quiet down and hear from God. And so this tells me that Jesus has uh, has emotions, too. And so a lot of times people don't know how to handle their different emotions, maybe grief or anger. And Jesus, human being, he had to deal with these things too. But what did Jesus do in a moment of grief? Well, he didn't go out and get mad at people. He didn't blame the world. He didn't blame God. What did Jesus do? He's like, I need some time alone for gather my thoughts for a little bit. If everybody could just give me a minute. And Jesus himself to deal with his emotions, went out and tried to be alone. And, uh, you know, unfortunately he got cut off. But that just says something to me that, that, that Jesus and everything teaches us how we're to handle every single situation. And so I really, really believe that every day of the year, 365 days, you need alone time with God. Does that sound like an exaggeration? I mean, maybe you're like, that sounds a little hardcore. I, honest to God, believe Every single day, you really genuinely need 
alone time with God. And you're like, well, I don't know, man. The, you know, this happened. Like, get up earlier. Stay awake later. You know, do something. But make time for God. He's, is he not important enough to just push something else out of the way to make time for him? Seriously, he made time for you. He makes time for you when you need him. He's there, doesn't it? He's always there when we call. It says he never leave you or forsake you. And so I'm telling you, if you want to get to the place where you have the true grit, where you are walking in the fullness of what God has for you, you will have to make time for God every single day. And even if it starts off 10 minutes, that's fine. It'll get to the place where you'll you'll just have make even more time for him. Because there's one thing about Jesus. The more you're around him, the more you want to be around him. You ever been in love and you're like, oh, I love her so much. Yeah. So still there, still there. But, uh, you know, you know, when you love somebody, you know, like you could be around them for an hour and and it's not enough. You're like, well, I want to be well, I want to be around him even longer. I want to be around him all the time. Well, if you really love Jesus, you don't want to just want to toss him an hour on Sunday morning. Right. I mean, if you're in love, you want you want to see your girlfriend once a week on Sunday morning for an hour and then not talk to her again until next Sunday. I don't know anybody like that. You want to be around him. And so it's the same way with Jesus. If you really love him, you'll make time for him every day. When Katie and I were dating, I mean, hold on to your seats. This was before text messaging, kids. No smartphones. No People actually had this thing where they would run a cable into their house and there was a thing called a telephone that you, you could call it. And you would answer the, and you, you, you could only talk on these things. It was very bizarre. I know. Just Google it sometime, but it's, it's, it's real. Telephones. And so we had these things called telephones. And, uh, and, and so the thing was, I mean, I wanted to talk to her every single day. And we also had another thing back then called dial up internet. Anyone? Can I get a witness? All right. All right, I'll explain Shaheem. Shaheem doesn't know. He's too young. He's a kid. But so what what the deal was is, okay, I, I worked at this place, Sergeant Pepper's Chicken, the best fried chicken. And thank you. And so I would get off at 10 o'clock or I, I closed at nine. But then we had to clean the restaurant. And Katie, her dad wouldn't let her talk on the phone after 10. Well, we didn't go to the same school. We weren't texting all day and Facebook and in MySpace. And then it's not even real anymore. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, we, we I mean, my only chance to talk to this girl was if I could. So, I mean, I would be just cleaning that chicken restaurant and doing everybody else's job. I'd get home at 945. Well, we you know, we were blessed. We had two phone lines so you could be on the Internet and talk at the same time. The thing is, my blessed little sister she would be talking to her friend on the phone who she was with at school all day and chatting with him at the same time on AOL or whatever they had back then. And I'm like, hey, hey, sister, Anne, can I talk to Katie for 15 minutes? Then you can get back on the phone with your friends. No, you're selfish. And so anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> praise God for little sisters, man. Oh, you tell me yeah, I'm serious, man. I hope she's listened to this in Alaska. So anyway, I forgive her. I'm not bitter. But the point is, when you love somebody, you will make everything, you'll do everything you can to be with them. 
And so I got to the place where I love Jesus so much. I'll do whatever it takes. If that means I can't go out with you, if I if I miss the football game, if I have to get up early, if I only get a couple hours of sleep, whatever, that's fine. But I am going to be with Jesus or I'm not I'm just not leaving the house. I, I'm, I'm going to be with Jesus. I need that alone time. And so Jesus was an expert at making this happen. And I think husbands and wives should make sure that each of them get times of solitude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do. I think I think that's a good idea. And I mean, it's one thing to do every every day, which you need. But I also think there's times where it calls for even more solitude, where maybe you do go away a day or two and, and talk to God or whatnot. And I think that that's an important thing for husbands and wives to be able to do. And especially if you have a bunch of kids like some people I know, I think it's even more important to do things like that. Amen. Number two. Let's go to number two. We better get going here. All right. <laughs> Jesus, number two, he taught men to be courageous and women. But Jesus taught people to be courageous. And this is important because you need courage to live this life the way that God's called you to. Now, if you want to be a sissy your whole life, it doesn't take any courage at all to do that. I mean, just hey, show up every day. All right. But if you want to really live the life that God called you to live, it's going to take some courage because it is going to require you to do things that are beyond your capability. Hebrews 11:6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, when you know, how do you know if God's calling you to do something? Well, if you feel in your heart to do something that's beyond your capability, it's probably God. If you're like, you know, if God's, you know, calling you to, to go do some ministry or, or start something and you're like, well, I don't have the money for that, then it's probably God. Because it's going to take faith. If, if God, you know, if it takes $10, you're like, oh, I got that. Well, that doesn't take any faith. You've already got it. But it takes faith to do something that is beyond your ability. That's faith. Because you're going to have to believe God for it. You're going to have to rely on Him and not rely on yourself. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Well, if you completely understand how to do it, if you can completely do it in your own resources and ability, then that's fine. That's good. But I'm, I'm, it doesn't take any faith to do that. And sometimes God will tell us at church or something to do something. And we're like, I have no idea how that's going to happen. Perfect. This must be from God because I have no idea how it's going to happen. It's going to take God. And maybe God's put a dream or a desire in your heart or, or you feel God telling you to do something. And you're like, but I just don't know how it would happen. Perfect. That's awesome. It's probably from God then, because that means you're going to actually have to get up early and talk to him about it. You're going to have to stay up. You're going to actually have to make some time of solitude to go be with Jesus and find out what his plan is in the situation. But way too many people, they just don't get there because they don't want to be courageous and they don't want to make the time for it. Let's look at Mark chapter six. We're already there. uh, Verse 47. Let's get there. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look here at verse 47, and so check this out. And actually, it's kind of funny, if you look at the previous verse there, verse 46, it says, after telling everyone goodbye, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. So he he was going to get alone again, but that didn't work out because the disciples got themselves in a mess. So verse, uh, verse 47, late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land because he wanted to be alone. 
he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water and he intended to go right past them. And so can you imagine this? He's like, I need some alone time. He goes up into the hills. Then in the middle of the night, he's up there praying and those knuckleheads got themselves in a mess. He's like, I got to go fix this again. So once again, he can't have the alone time he needs. Jesus gets out there and starts walking on the water towards them. And and he says he was just going to walk right past him. I don't know what he was going to do, but, like, you know, heal him or something. I don't know. But he, was, he wasn't even going to stop to be with them. He was just going to walk right past him. And can you imagine this? The middle of the night. Three, you know, three o'clock in the morning and, and you look out and there's just somebody walking across water. Wouldn't that trip you out just a little bit? And, and you got to realize that they weren't just like 20 feet offshore. I mean, the, the, the boat wasn't tied to the dock still. They were several miles out there. Jesus had been walking on the water for a couple of miles at least. And I, one of the gospels tells how far, I think it was three or four or five miles that Jesus walked out onto the water to get to these guys. Can you imagine that? Just the middle of the night, just walking on water that far and so he finally gets out to where they are and 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 check this out uh but when they saw him walking on the water they cried out in terror thinking he was a ghost and so you got a bunch of grown men in a boat crying in the middle of the night not my idea of manliness john wayne would i mean he'd be crying mr t would he'd pity those fools So they were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. And so Jesus gets to them and he says, oh, stop. Don't be afraid. Take courage for I am here. And I love that phrase because I believe so many times Jesus to this day is telling us that we're in that boat in the middle of the night. We're crying, thinking we're all alone. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, stop, stop that. Quit, quit crying. Take courage. I am here. It's going to be okay now. But Jesus had to take control of this situation and and help rescue these guys uh, out of what they were going through. And so I love that in our moments of despair in our moments of, of letting fear try to take over us. Jesus is teaching us to be courageous. Well, how did Jesus know how to do this? Because Jesus himself was courageous. But I want to show you, I think the my favorite example in the Bible of courage, one of them is a man named Joshua. And so we'll come back to Mark in a minute. But I want you to look back at Joshua chapter one. And verse 9. Check this out. Joshua 1. It'll take you a minute to get back there. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Do we have any courageous people in the house tonight? All right. You, you, and you sound courageous. That was very intimidating, by the way. That was, wow. Yes. Courage. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to work on it. Maybe next week we'll work on our battle cry. Who thinks that sounds good? Joshua chapter 1, we'll look at verse 9. Yeah, I just got him in an embarrassing situation the other day. Somebody came up to me and said they needed prayer for their hearing. And I mean, 
being bold, you know, I'm like, I grabbed their ears. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command your ears. And I mean, I was really praying for him with everything I had. And then I let go. I was like, is that any better? How's your hearing? And he said, well, actually, it's this Thursday down in Victorville, the Superior Court. I was like, oh. (laughs) But I'll bet his ears are right. That's a joke. I didn't do that. That's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If you don't remember anything else tonight, remember, just picture me just shaking someone's head. All right. Okay, holy people. Joshua chapter one, verse nine. And so Joshua is taking over for Moses and this has got to be an intimidating spot to be in. Okay, you're taking over for Moses. This is the guy that had rescued the Israelites from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Okay, they've been slaves for 400 years. I mean, Moses was the man that God used for the ten plagues in Egypt, uh, parted the Red Sea. Moses was a heroic. Amazing man. And I mean, we know this much, but then they get close to the promised land and, you know, Moses makes a mistake and he's not allowed to go in. He he did something against God. And so he wasn't allowed to go in. And so God calls Joshua to take them that last bit into the promised land. And this has got to be intimidating to take over for Moses, the man that got the Ten Commandments. And I've told you this before, but Moses also, being a great man, was the biggest sinner in the Bible because he broke all Ten Commandments at the same time. Huh? All right, I'm going to quit with the jokes. I'm sorry. He, he got mad. He threw them when he saw them. Anyway, all right. So, but, but here we are. Moses was an incredible man, and Joshua's called to take over for him and lead the people into the promised land. And I'm guessing... That he had to be intimidated a little bit. I mean, he had to had to have something going on. But look at Joshua chapter one, verse nine. It says, this is my command. <clears throat> be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord. Your God is with you wherever you go. And so God speaks. And I mean, I tell people this verse all the time. If people are like, I need a verse to stand on. I'm usually Joshua one nine. You need to get Joshua one nine out. You know, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I think a lot of times we, we, you know, we know stuff like that and we're like, well, I know God's with me everywhere I go, but I'm still afraid. Well, I don't think you get the revelation of it, that literally God Almighty is with you wherever you go. There's nowhere you go that you're alone. And you may feel alone, you may, there may not be another person there, but the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Don't be afraid. Be brave. Be courageous because God's with you. And guess what? He's on your side. Amen. That's good news. He is on your side. If you're a child of God and you're living according to his word, God is on your side and he wants you to win. And so don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Be brave. Be courageous. The Lord, your God, is with you everywhere you go. Amen. Man, I wish I could yell tonight. All right. So Joshua, I think he must have needed this reassurance. Or else God wouldn't have had to say this to him. And if you look all over the first several chapters of Joshua, God keeps telling Joshua. He keeps saying, 
be brave, be strong, be courageous, Joshua. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Be strong, be courageous. He kept telling him over and over and over again, be strong, be courageous. So Joshua must have needed to hear it. And I think for us in our day and age, we still need to hear this sometimes. Listen, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Be strong, be courageous. The Lord, your God, is with you everywhere you go. And so God builds him up, pumps him up. And so let's see what Joshua's next steps of action are. Look at verses 10 and 11. I mean, God pumps him up. He goes out and he gathers the troops and rallies them for the invasion. Uh, Look at this. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. And so it's all coming down to this 40 years of wandering through the wilderness and all this stuff that they've been through. And it comes down to this. Be strong, be courageous. The Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. And sometimes you may be right outside of the promised land that God has for you. You may have made it this far, but there's still a fight ahead and it's still going to take some courage because they made it through all this stuff, but there were still enemies to defeat. They still had to cross the river. They still had to go in there and, and knock, you know, get these walls to come down in Jericho. And then they went through getting, you know, town upon town and they conquered the whole land. But it took courage. And so you may feel like, well, I've been in this for a long time now. And I, and, and listen, you may be just right outside of your promised land. Don't give up now. Take some courage. Get ready and go get into the fight, man. We've got to have some Christians that have a fight mentality, not with each other, but spiritually speaking, better rephrase that. We need some Christians that, that are, I mean, they're ready to do some spiritual warfare to get into the battle and they're not running from the devil all the time. We need some Christians that are absolutely got some guts, got some grit, and they're ready to take action and conquer the promised land that God has for them. And I oftentimes, I think of George Washington, you know, Way back in the day, anyone remember George? George Washington, of course, our first president, but he was a very courageous military leader. I mean, he was the man. You go read about old George Washington, man. Woo! He was the man. He had some courage. He had some guts. And and listen, he led his troops into battle and he was on the front lines fighting with them. And, and he was just absolutely a man of grit. And... You know, I think back to the to the war, the revolution. I mean, that took some guts, dude. We were outnumbered, man. We were overpowered by those British. And if there's nothing worse than somebody that that I mean, they can overpower you and they've got a weird accent. That is that is so annoying. And so the British, they were trying to tell us what to do. They're trying to take our, you know, trying to control us. And finally, we had enough of that. And you mean, you go read history for yourself. But listen, some brave men stood up and did something about it. And so in September of 1775, the British had taken control of Boston. And George Washington was like, we've got to listen. Something's got to be done here. We got to we got to take this city back. And everyone's like, no, we no. Listen, that's a bad idea. There's too many of them. You're going to get the whole city destroyed. And and so he's trying to rally support to go in there and recapture this city. But but I want to I want to read something to you that he said in a letter to the governor of Rhode Island, <clears throat> trying to convince him for his support. Listen to this. He said, no danger is to be considered 
when compared to the magnitude of the cause. No danger is to be considered when compared to the magnitude of the cause. That's courage. He's like, we may go in there and die. But listen, there's a greater thing at stake here. We're talking about freedom. I'm willing to die for this. And so he said, no, no danger is too great. No, it's, it's not too big of a deal because this is such a big thing. And there's got to be something in your life that is worth fighting for. If you have nothing that you're that courageous about, we need to talk. You, you've, you've got to, there's got to be something in your life that you are willing to die for. And you say, no danger is too great. I, I, I would, I would rather die than, than not have this happen. And I love that that's how our founding fathers, the patriots, that's how they were. They'd rather die. They, and you know, and what was it, uh, Patrick Henry, I think it was, that said, give me liberty or give me death. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather kill me if I can't be free. And so that's the attitude that you need to have about certain things in your life. I mean, listen to me. There are some things that are just worth fighting for. And too many people, they don't have the courage. They don't have the fight. They're like, well, fine, take it away from me. I really wish I didn't have to lose that. Put up a fight, man. Do something about it. And, and I'm, I'm especially talking about spiritual matters. You have got to have things that you are willing to go into the combat zone for. And of course, we know Washington led the troops to victory and we're free today. And, and you know, and so it's, it's incredible. And we're, we're all thankful for what he went through. But this man, again, he wasn't leading from behind a desk somewhere. OK, he was out in one battle. He had two different horses shot out from underneath him. And at the end of the battle, he looked at his coat. There were four bullet holes in his coat. And somehow he never got shot. But out of all this, I mean, he made it through this and and he wasn't running from danger. He was out there chasing it, trying to trying to win freedom for people. And listen to me. I love a man with grit. I love a woman that has courage, that is willing to stand up and fight for something and say, no, I'd rather die than lose that. And we need Christians in our day and age that will fight for their family, that will fight for their marriage, that will fight, amen, for what belongs to them. So no doubt about it, George Washington was a man of great faith. And, you know, and, and I'll just read this in his in his uh, resignation address to the Congress. On December 23rd, 1783, he wrote, I consider it an indispensable duty to close this last solemn act of my official life by commanding the interest of our dearest country to the protection of Almighty God. And so he's like, the last thing I want to do when I'm in charge is command the interest of this country to the protection of Almighty God. And I'm like, thank you, George. Thank you for doing that. We appreciate it. And and so he was a man of courage. But what is the definition of courage? I want you and you may write this down. If you're one of those out there that takes notes, you may write this down. Courage is the ability to do something that frightens you. The ability to do something that frightens you. So you cannot be a courageous person without facing fear. If someone says, I'm courageous, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, then you're not courageous. (laughs) You can't be you can't be courageous if you have no fears. You're courageous when you conquer your fears and when you face things down that absolutely terrify you, then you can say that you're a courageous person. But if you're someone that says, I'm nothing scares me. First of all, you're probably lying. And second of all, you're not courageous. 
There's, I mean, it, it takes courage to stand up to something that absolutely is putting fear in you. And, and fear is something that all human beings have to deal with. Every, every person, even Jesus, which I'll show you in a minute, Jesus himself had to face fear down. But a great verse that you need to know is 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so it is possible to have a spirit of fear. And if you got it, God didn't give it to you. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power, love, a sound mind. What does a sound mind mean? That means you're emotionally stable. Amen. The New Living and other translations say a spirit of self-control, but a sound mind means that you're not an emotional basket case. Doesn't that sound like a blessing from God? Come on. That's a blessing right there, man. And listen, that's what God has given you power, love and a sound mind. And so I'm telling you this much. Fear will come knocking at your door, just like it did with Joshua, just like it did with Jesus. But the courageous man, the courageous woman stands up to fear and fights back in the name of Jesus and wins the battle. And so there's a lot of similarities I see between Joshua and Jesus. They both helped free people. We know that much. But they both also faced their fears and chose to be courageous. So the final thing I want to show you is actually in the book of Luke, chapter 22. This is Jesus facing fear in the face. Luke, chapter 22. We're going to look at verse 39. Luke 22. Thanks, Frank. Luke 22. We're going to look here at verse 39. And so this is Jesus. He's he's getting ready to be betrayed, crucified. He's getting ready to to go through the whole thing, man, the whole crucifixion. And I'm telling you what people back then, they knew what it meant. You know, with the Bible, the writers didn't go into detail to explain what crucifixion is because in their day, everybody, uh, oh, yeah, he was crucified. I get that. That's awful. For us, we're like, oh, Jesus was crucified for my sins. That's great. You don't understand how bad it was. And Jesus knew because the Romans, they'd hang people on crosses all the time, man. It was, I mean, public execution. That's no big deal at all. I mean, there was no no human rights, no no dignity. And so, I mean, they people dead bodies and they'd burn them and all this stuff. I mean, just bad stuff going on. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew what God was calling him to. I mean, he saw it coming. And Jesus was a human being. You don't think that that did not have an effect on him. He's seen people hanging on crosses before. He's seen people getting whipped by the soldiers. He's seen all this stuff, and it's not a pretty thing to see. And so he knows, man, it's going to be me tomorrow. And so he knows what's getting ready to happen to him. But Luke chapter 22, we're going to look here at verses 39 through 46. It says, Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. Then he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I mean, what a prayer right there. He's like, God, I... I know what's coming. This is this is going to be brutal. This is not going to be good. If you are willing, God, can you give me another way to save the world? God, if there's some other way that I could save all these people, could we find some other way? But then I love what he says next. 
Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Wow. He knows what's coming. He says, all right, let's let's do it your way. We don't let's not do it my way. Let's do it your way. I wish more of us would follow that example of Jesus and say, let's let's do it your way. Not my will, but your will be done. And so then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And so, and I, you know, you've heard me preach this before, but it's true that Jesus literally began, his body was in such a state of anxiety and, and turmoil and anguish and, 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 I mean, all the stress that his body began to sweat blood. Can you imagine you're standing there and just blood starts running down your arms? And you're shaking and it's, and it's coming out of your head and, 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 and no one's hit you or anything. But, and I, I've seriously, I, and I've told you this, I've looked this up, but it's, it's rare, super rare, but it is possible for the human body to reach such a level of stress and anxiety that it will begin to sweat blood. It is a medical condition called hematoidrosis and the body can reach this state. I mean, it's super rare, but Jesus got to this place. And keep in mind, nobody was forcing him to do this. This was a voluntary thing. Because Jesus said, hey, no one's taking my life from me. I'll lay my life down. I'm giving it away. No one's taking it from me. And so he was in this place and he knew what was coming. He was praying and and, and he was talking to God. He's probably shaking and, and there's blood just coming out of his body everywhere, hitting the ground. And, 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 and Jesus says, no, not my will be done, but your will be done. At last, he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. And so, I mean, it's easy. A lot of times we read this story and we're like, I mean, those bums, they couldn't even stay awake with Jesus. Bunch of, I mean, how terrible. Listen, it says they, they were asleep because they were exhausted from grief. I can imagine that the anxiety in the air was so thick right there. Can you, have you ever been in a room that's just full of just anxiety and stress and you can almost, you can feel it in the room? And the disciples probably still did not yet even fully grasp what was going on just yet. But listen, there was so much grief in the atmosphere. They were just, they were dropping, man. They were, they were passed out. And so it's not because they were bums. It's not because they were lazy and, and, and weren't, you know, weren't great guys, but the grief was so thick in the air. Jesus is shaking and sweating blood. These guys are passed out from the grief. And and, and out, of, out of all of this, verse 40, well, verse 46, he says, Why are you sleeping? Ask them, get up and pray, so you will not give in to temptation. And so he gets them up again. But out of all of this, what I'm trying to get at is this. Jesus faced fear like you never have. Jesus faced stress and anxiety that I have never seen in my life. I've never faced where my life, that's happened to me. I mean, I've had some bad times. I've had a few bad days here and there. But I've never had something like this happen. And the thing is, he did not have to go through with it. He could have, at the last minute, he told, he told him, he's like, listen, guys, don't feel bad for me. If I wanted to, I could ask God 
for, what do you say, ten legions of angels, or six legions of angels, to come and rescue me right now. A legion was 12,000. He could have had God send 72,000 angels to get him out of this situation. Nobody forced him to do this. Jesus had courage. Whoa. Jesus had courage that even after all this, he said, I want to do this because I see these people that are on their own. They can't do it. They're, they're depressed. They're struggling. They'll never get to heaven. They're, they're miserable. It's awful. They're addicted. They're beat up. They, their, their lives are a wreck. I've got to do this for them. And so because of us sitting here in 2017 in Barstow, California, Jesus got up from that spot, wiped the blood off, and he went out and he took the cross for us. That is courage that this world has never seen before or since. That took true grit. Do you see why I'm telling you that Jesus has the love soft side but Jesus was the manliest man that this world's ever seen. He was the toughest dude that's ever walked the face of this planet. And so if Jesus could do this for me, I'm thinking, wow, I mean, I owe this guy something. What could I do for him? And it, it, it pains me to see, and this isn't in my notes. I have no idea why I'm going here. But it, it pains me to see so many people that won't even give Jesus an hour of their week. And he did that for them. He pulled them out of the ditch. He saved them. He gave them their family back. He, he, he restored their health and all this stuff. And I've seen so many people that Jesus not only did this for, but he's done miracle after miracle for, and they can't even give him an hour or two out of their week. And someone says tithe, and they're like, oh, and they get, what? I mean, if Jesus asked for 100% of my money, I'd give it to him. I owe it to him. There's no way I'd be here right now without him. And so I'm challenging us, okay, the courage that Jesus had for us, what is it that we can do for him? We know we can't work our way, and he's not telling you, do a bunch of good things for me now so you can go to heaven. This is all a free gift. It's the grace of God. But for us, I feel some sense of obligation. I feel something within me compelling me to give him the very best that I've got. If that means I get to lose some sleep, I'll lose sleep for Jesus. That's fine. If it means I get to lose a few meals, that's fine. He's more important than food. If that means that I've got to sacrifice some things for the man that shook and sweat blood and then went out and got beaten to a pulp. Isaiah prophesied it a couple thousand years before he ever even was there. And Isaiah said this man was beaten so badly you couldn't even tell that he was a human being. Jesus was I mean, raw meat hanging there, man. He said, you can't even tell us the a human being right here. He did that for us. And it's a bother to get up early for him. It's a bother to go to church on Sunday, on Wednesday. It's a bother to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a bother to forgive. I'm telling you what, man, we've got to do better. I've got to do better than what I've been doing. You've got to start doing better than what you've been doing. He deserves our very best. But he's not going to get it from lazy people that aren't courageous. He's not going to get it from lazy people that aren't afraid, that, that are too afraid to face their fears and never step up and fight for something. I'm telling you, there are things worth fighting for. Jesus and our families and the gospel and the kingdom of God 
are those things. And we've got to get the grit that Jesus had. We've got to get the fight that Jesus had to stand up and say, no more. I'm going to do this. And, and, you know, I'm not saying it's going to kill you, but whether it kills me or not, I am going to do this and I am going to fight the good fight of faith. And I'm going to lay hold to the promises of God and I'm going to have some courage. I'm going to have some guts. I'm going to have some backbone and I'm going to be a man and a woman of God. I'm going to give it everything I've got. Amen. Let's go ahead and stop there tonight. Let's go ahead and stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.